All right, welcome back, listeners and viewers. Welcome back, Nabil. Um, we made it to the second episode. Who thought we would be able to do that? But here we are. Now, uh, are are you aware of the topic that we're going to discuss today? Because I didn't brief you, right? Uh, not aware. We're gonna do it freestyle, and uh, we will try to be. Um, as concise and professional as possible. Let's bring the topic in. That is the spirit. Actually, the reason I I didn't want to brief you this time was because this is a topic that deals with let's just say rationality, right? So I wanted to get uh, insight that is like not filtered through the filter of literature already, right? I wanted to get a very raw insight on like everyday perspective. That's why I didn't. include any sort of briefing for you this time but i'm going to hope this like this turns into something that uh, let's just say uh, coherent enough the topic that, uh, that's in my mind today is that we have a thing called philosophy of perception right so what what basically happened was we discussed we discussed the meaning of life and we tried to discuss the purpose of life we, we started with the meaning of life but what we could only talk about was the purpose of life but we got a good gist of that topic right so <clears throat> the the problem with what most of the literatures talk about uh, the meaning of life or the purpose of life because the original idea was that we were going to talk about the different ways of lives that exist right so we were going to talk about stoicism we were going to talk about theism and atheism and all sorts of ways of life right so wh- what what happened along the way was uh, we we got crumbled and that's uh, the part where i read what happened was that we got troubled over something called the theory of knowledge or the theory of perception which like the base idea is that whatever whatever knowledge or whatever world view that you create is a byproduct of well first things was what is a byproduct of and if it's just a byproduct of something that is let's just say artificial then how much and how how real is our perception so for example you see something so you see something and the philosophy of perception says that uh, the way you see it like the the premise is everyone does not see the same way but the question is why so the philosophy of perception says it's because your final product of perception the way you see things is a combination of your already existing knowledge beliefs and things like that so essentially you see the way you see the world the way you are so from a completely uh, non philosophical way is this is this like coherent to you does it, does it make sense do you agree with that yep i actually agree to you so different people see the the world different real right in fact when i was in like uh primary 4 primary 5 i i had this weird dream right i had this weird dream and the weird dream is um actually it it started from not a dream it started from a tv show called cow and chicken uh it's a it's a tv show it's a cartoon tv show it's a weird tv show uh if if you're from my generation and you watch the same tv show and in this episode there's an episode where uh either cow or the chicken i mean they're the main characters by the way the ca- main character is cow and chicken main character is cow. so 
I think they took in something. They, they took a pill or something, right? Uh, they drank something, right? And then from that drink, they noticed that the world is not as it is. Like all this time, they think that they're living in their house and they're living a normal life. They took this something and apparently they're, they have been in this uh, cave filled with meat, sort of like an intestine. Uh, so, so basically, that was the episode, right? That was the episode. Maybe it's the wrong perception of the episode, but somehow the episode turned out like that. And I was thinking, oh, wow. Uh, so I thought about this episode when I'm in class, and I'm like, wait, what if right now, me sitting here in this class with all the students over here, you know, there's my, there's other students. There's the teacher. He's writing all the What if none of this is real, right? What if you had an existential crisis right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? What is I? I'm. What if I'm in an intestine of meat, right? And I have no idea. It's just I. I did. Yeah. I just don't take the right pill, and mm-hmm. and I'm the only person who exists. What if I'm the only person that exists? <laughs> right? I, I'm okay, pretty sure okay. all philosophers ask this okay. question, right? What if I'm True. the only person that exists and all these other beings are just part of this, you know, like simulation. Facebook meta. Yeah, simulation, right? Like, oh, okay. wow. What is it? Uh, okay. Uh, so that's an extreme. The other side of extreme is, okay, fine. Everyone is real. Everyone experiences what you're experiencing. And I think somewhere in between that, I mean, closer to reality is uh, you know, everyone sees things a bit differently. One mm-hmm. question that I think might relate to this is, there's a scientific question that asks, does everybody see the same color? Oh, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I see blue, like I'm looking at the Zoom logo right now, right? It's blue Zoom. I'm looking at it and it's, you know, it's my blue. It's what I've been seeing. What if my blue is your red? And we'll never know. We'll never know because mm. all my life, my parents and everyone around the world has pointed to that color that mm. I perceive as blue and said that it's blue. Well, for you, if I like transfer my consciousness, right? I go to yeah, someone's yeah. like, what the hell? His blue is actually red and we'll never know. So that's very interesting, right? So, so if that's... I mean, there, there are a lot of things there to unpack. Like, I, I like how you use the color, uh, the, the thing, the analogy with color, because we know for sure, scientifically speaking, that there are people who are colorblind, semi-colorblind, monocolorblind. So we know that not everyone exactly. sees the world the same way we do, right? So like, that's there. So where, exactly. where do we build from that? Like, um, this, this reminds me, there's, there's a scientific thing there's a scientific experiment. Not, it's not a literal experiment, but the, like it's an it's an analogy called. I think it's called Mary's Mary's room. So the idea is, uh, the scientist says, the philosopher sorry says that if there is a woman called Mary and she lives in a room that is black and white, and like the everything in that room, including herself, is black and white, right? There is no color, and she has studied for years and years about color. And she knows everything about the wavelength, about the objects that it occurs in, about the depth perception, every scientific measurement possible about color. 
And if one day she, you know, breaks that room open and she sees a world full of color, right? So they, they, they narrow it down to one, like the apple. So she knows that an apple is red and she knows every single scientific property about the color red. So one day, if she sees an actual apple, will there be anything different from what she already knows? Will it add any information? Will it add any knowledge to her understanding of, about the color, about the experience? And if, right off the bat, if you ask someone, like if I ask you, what do you think? Um, there's a few things. I, I, I like that. I like that analogy, right? Actually, they they made a movie about it. Maybe it's based on that because in that movie, I saw the trailer. The trailer is it's one of these movies where it's like, oh, you know, they're hiding someone. Some this big organization is hiding something from okay. us, right? So that's the premise of the movie. And the movie starts off with everything black and white, and then one of the characters is like, take this pill. You know, they're hiding something from us. He took the pill. And he started to see, you know, the apples red. And like, oh, you're, you've been lying to me. I'm going to revolt against you. You know, it's... It's like Matrix with colors. Re, re, yeah, rebellion teenage movie, you know? Like okay. with teenagers like, oh, yeah, rebellion, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, it's one, so one of them is, okay, fine. She knows how it will feel. She studied all the literature, but knowing it is different than experiencing, right? Right? Like, of course, even us ourselves, we there are some people who have, you know, look at celebrities. You know, people in Brunei have watched celebrities and they know how the celebrities are like, blah, blah, blah. And, and the moment they see the actual celebrities in real life, it's a whole different sensation. Why? Because we ourselves are not our conscious minds. Mm -hmm. We are also our unconscious. The unconscious takes over. The unconscious, you, you don't tell your unconscious, okay, at, at this moment, you, you be scared. You will be amazed. It's unconscious, man. So the unconscious takes over. And I think part of human life is also experiencing that unconscious, more like, more like facing our unconscious. It's part of us, mm -hmm. but it's something that we're not fully aware because it's a contrast. So that's one part, right? Another part is we can actually, we don't have to think about it. You just go to YouTube and, you know, there's these videos of, you know, they, I think they developed these new glasses that allows people who are colorblind to see, mm -hmm. right? Actually, Jake Paul made, made a video about it and it turns out he's actually not colorblind. It's a like, it's fake <laughs> video or whatever, right? But there's actual colorblind people who took these glasses and, you know, you know, they're actually, you, tears, you know, oh my God. It's not just that. It's also uh, videos of people who are deaf. Mm -hmm. oh, they, they put on these devices into their ears that allows them to hear and they're like, they're crying like oh wow like oh it's, it's overwhelmed overwhelmed but there's also an extreme part of the story an extreme part of the story where uh i'm not sure how real is this story but there's a story where there's is this person who is colorblind and one day he got an opportunity to get like eye surgery or something, so, something to fix this color blindness, either eye surgery or anything, right? Eventually, mm -hmm. the story goes that he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Eventually, sorry, uh, I, I th- so I, I think it's not just color blindness. I think it's, I think it's he was blind. He was blind, and then suddenly he can see. Right. So, so all his life, he skated his sensitivity, focusing on his touch, his balance, and his ears. Right. Super sensitive. The things that you can't hear, he can hear. Because he realized on that, suddenly you add in two senses, overwhelm, stimuli. Oh my god, this is too much for me. I don't know. I become dizzy. I like it's it's that moment when you get too much impulse. You're you're in a room where there's too many people, too many people talking to you. You get dizzy. You get you faint. Maybe it's the same thing, but every day for him is overwhelming. I think um, I think it's it's very important yeah. because of the premise that we try to establish about mary knowing everything about uh, about color so i think the question like as you said evidently we know that when people experience something it's very different from no matter how much you see it on television or you see it on youtube or you read about it right so i think that later part of the equation is much more self explanatory but in this experiment i think you know frank jackson or something was the name of the guy who did it so i think in this experiment the focus is not towards uh what's the fact that will there be a difference in terms of experience i what or the way i see it is that at the same time the question also tries to understand that when we say that mary knows everything about color that is humanly possible so i think it also tests the limits of human knowledge like is it possible to know everything because like when you were talking about blind people or people who are deaf they don't know everything about you know let's just say hearing or something so for example a color blind person he does not know anything about color right and on the surface one might say oh just because he learns the wavelengths or frequencies it's not going to help him but i think th- that's why it's very important that the premise also tests what is the limit of human knowledge like uh, theoretically speaking is it possible to learn this much that there is no space left because essentially what is happening is that we are we as all you know i think many living creatures share this experience that our senses are actually learning uh, in you know experiences for us so by seeing things by touching things by feeling things we are learning about our environments right i think that's biologically correct right so when you see cats and cats are sniffing everything they're actually feeling the world with their whiskers right so what are they doing is they are learning about the environment through their senses right so i think the question also tries to emphasize that should, are we okay we know that we are dependent on our senses to learn but is it possible to saturate that learning so much into one sense that the others like one sense for example just by reading books right so is it possible that you learn to the extent that no other sense can top it like there's no point of any other sense uh giving you any sort of further learning experience because you already have learned everything mm. i have two ways to answer this number one is realistically and number two is in terms of non fiction right the first one is i agree with you when you mentioned that 
we're limited to our senses. The way we navigate into the world, you know, uh, how do how do things look like? How do things smell like? Mm-hmm. Is all dependent on uh, our senses. Even yeah. if, for example, right? Even if, for example, um, we we know how black holes look like. Uh, we've taken a photo of a black hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sense is it using? Even when looking at the photo, right? We're looking at the a picture using our the sense of you know our eyes, uh, and then we we know the calculations around the black hole. We know how light passes. We know all the equations, and we know that using um, you know we know that using mathematical equations. We know that using physics. Well, we we think about that. We think about the numbers. We calculate. We, we use the brain. Is that a sense? I don't know. But it is information processing. Uh, but I think there's a limit to it. Yes, uh, I think to answer your question, I I understand now how you related to this uh, to Mary's room. I think I think knowing it and experiencing are two different things, uh, because uh, you can know everything about the color red, sure, mm-hmm. but if you but feeling that having that, you know, you, you know, uh, I think the sensors in the eyes is called rods and cons. That's a sensor, and it mm. looks at red, blue, and you know, uh, green or something like that. Uh, so if your cone for red is crushed and and you can't you can't pass through the red color, uh, you know, you you can know a lot about red, but that stimuli, that when when that stimuli when light when red color puts in, you know, hits the center and goes into your brain, that stimuli, as much as you know, as much as information you process, you can never have that stimuli, right? So similar to, uh, you know, uh, there are animals that detect UV light. Uh, I think like chameleons or something, they can see UV light. We're limited to the visible spectrum, right? I think 1,000, I think 800 to 1,200 nanometer or something. That's the range. But there are animals who can see radio waves. There are animals who can see uh, uh, ultralight waves. Now, you can argue. You can argue with Nabil. Actually, you can see ultralight waves, you know? If you go to the shop and you see, you know, the lights, you know? Uh, yeah, fine. But that's the visible part of the ultraviolet. There's, some, there's, there's a lot of light emitting out. If you're chameleon, you can see more stuff, right? Yeah. Also, you can argue that, hey, Nabil, what do you mean you, we can't see infrared light? Uh, if you take an iPhone right now, right? I, think, I don't think you can see it, right? You see there, right? Yeah. The front part of the iPod emits an infrared light. And Nubble, you can see that. You can see that. I'm looking at it now, right? I can't see. Nubble, you can argue that, oh, put it on the screen, you can see it. Fine. It's detected by the sensors. The sensors mm-hmm. convert that infrared into visible light for you. So it's translated. But seeing it directly is different from it being translated. So for me, I think, no. Here's here's how I think the the bridge can be gapped, right? Uh, When we say, uh, now the idea is that our our understandings about absorbing knowledge are limited. Here's what I mean. So maybe Mm -hmm. this is like, uh, you know, a long shot. This is a stretch. And I don't know if philosophers in the past have uh, try to mend it in this way or not. But here's what I think. What we experience from our surroundings, right, is, is a simulation, is a reaction of 
whatever the cause is. But the effect is everything that happens in our brain, right? So if something hot touches your skin, so whatever that cause is, is external. But whatever effect you take, whatever experience you experience is internal, right? So one could argue what is essentially happening is that your brain is sending signals to these, let's just say, skin cells. I don't know, medical is your field. So yep. you tell me how the burning thing works. But essentially, the brain is sending signals to process these, right? And we know of instances, uh, I was reading about uh, itching, you know, I know, weird, but I was reading about itching and I realized that uh, itching is actually, we don't know why, why we you know, have itching, but one guess is that uh, it's, it's an evolutionary vestigial once again. To <laughs> it's, Making me it's, itch now. <laughs> yeah. the, that is not how itch works. <laughs> No, no, no. Like you, I think about itching. I'm like, oh, wow. Suddenly my, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. I'm, yeah, but sorry. Yeah. sorry. No, no, it's okay. The idea is that uh, why does our brain, and because, you know, we, you, you can argue that something, uh, let's say something, you know, spiky or something agitative touches your skin and hence there is itching, right? But there are times mm. when nothing is touching your skin, but your brain mm. is, illusionized your brain is deceived that something is touching your skin and hence you know you get the sensation right mm. you know th there are possible yeah. th there's actually uh, i don't know how much biology there is to back this but there's talks about this in the philosophical world that if you're 100 conceived like you're, you're convinced that this this cup here is hot right and it's not but if you touch it there's a good chance that for a microsecond, your brain would actually, you know, uh, repeat the same patterns in your neural endings that uh, it would if it actually touches something that is hot. Now, once again, I don't know how much biological background there is, how much biological truth there is to this, but that's the thing that we discuss about in philosophy, known as the placebo effect, right? So if you are 100% convicted that, yes, this is going to work, like th this thing is hot, then your brain, even for a microsecond, will actually be convinced that, oh, this is hot. And it will process the same ideas. It will process the same uh, reaction as it would to how things, how it would if it actually touches something hot. So back to the idea being that we react to external environments, but the reaction ultimately, the way we feel the reaction is internal, right? So that's what of I course. meant by... That's what I meant by is the knowledge that we already have, is it saturated or is it merely, you know, books? Because one could say, oh, I have read everything about the color red. But when I look at the color red, it's very different than when I read about it. But maybe our, our, our barrier between reading and absorbing knowledge is limited. So back to the like burning example, if you could know exactly what temperature a certain thing is and if you are well versed now the thing is that uh, this is what i mean by the gap between knowledge and actual perceived knowledge right that there is a gap when you, when i say 25 degrees celsius you know it's a number but it, it will actually pass through a filter in your brain for you to process that oh 25 is relatively cold when I say minus one, you will actually process it to know that, oh, it's cold. 
But what if that process, what if that gap can be reduced? What if our, our processings, the way we accept knowledge is so much saturated that we can actually convince our brain to, to, to just you know, sample that experience of, of experiencing something in real world? What if we could actually tell our brain, convey to our brain that, oh, 18 degrees or minus one degree Celsius is so cold that you can actually, you know, feel it. So that's something that I try to wrap my head around that is that humanely possible? I mean, I'll just tell you one thing, right? And that is our brains are, human beings are so bad at sensing. Um, Let me tell you this. In science school, there's one, one of the first things that we learn is how mm-hmm. the human being is a terrible sensor. Terrible sensor. Uh, we might think something is 25 degrees Celsius. No, it's like 20, 22. Uh, no, mm-hmm. it's 18, you know? You know how sometimes you go into a room and you're like, oh, why is it so cold? Well, it's not cold, bro. It's 25 degrees Celsius, mm-hmm. right? Oh, why does it feel cold to me, right? So one of the things we did was in science school, where there's an, a very simple experiment. In front of us are three bowls of water. I'm not sure if you have uh, tried this experiment, but there's three bowls of water. The center bowl... I didn't go to medical is, school, bro. No, bro, this is science school. This is science. science. Okay. In the center is uh, normal tap water. Normal tap okay. water. The right side is hot water, and on the left side is cold water. Right, not hot, not really hot, like tolerable, tolerable hot. Right. Uh, what we did was put our right hand on the right ball, left hand on the left ball. Right. So right, it will be warm. Left will be cold. Right. Leave it there for one thirty seconds to one minute. Right. Let let the body feel the temperature. Right. Okay. So guys, students, what do you feel? Okay. Right. Once feels hot, ma'am. Oh, left, left. What do you feel? Ah, oh, cold. Okay. Fine. Now, lift the hand up and put both hands in the bowl. Now, in the center if, we, if we are... Oh, sorry. Put it on the center bowl. Put it on the center bowl. Mm-hmm. Now, if human beings are really good at sensing temperature, we'll say, hey, you know, it's, it's you know, normal tap water, right? But when the teacher asks, we did not feel that it's normal water. The right hand that touched the warm water felt cold. It felt like it's in ice water. Whereas the hand that has been in the cold water felt like it's warm. Okay. <laughs> so we're hor- we are horribly bad. So that's one of the first few lessons in science school. The lesson here is you think that your sensors are good? No, it's bad. In fact, it's terribly bad. Right, we need calibrators in physics. We need you know uh, precise measurements. We need all these things. Do not rely on your sensor. In fact, one of the things that uh, you know in science you learn is eyewitness is sometimes really bad. Mm-hmm. You know because you know people get intoxicated. You know you might think you see something, but what is measurable? What is measurable by the senses? What is consistent? So all these different things make up in science. So. If you think about, if you ask me about human experiences, how much we can sense in things, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things we can sense. But does it mean it's real? Does it mean it's accurate? Mm, maybe not. 
maybe not here's so, just how i'm i'm trying to, like this is the reason i think that such a theory is possible like about human beings uh, knowing to the extent that we can feel it because i'm just trying to reverse the process of sensor right so what happens is you touch something hot and you know hot your brain is your your nerves feel it and they send message back to the brain to the neural system that oh it's hot right i'm just thinking if it is humanely possible to reverse that process because ultimately what convinces you that this thing is hot is your brain itself it's not the hot element yes. itself for example people who have burnt receptors so there is a gap like they're touching something hot but there are not receptors in their skin cells so no message is conveyed back to the brain so the brain does not know it's hot okay i'll answer your question really quickly and uh, b- before that okay i'll i'll answer your question first and then i'll tell you a very interesting experiment okay, okay. so uh, a a cool a cool theoretical answer is that yes you know all these experiences are from the brain the brain is telling you this is hot the brain is our way of translating our experiences into our consciousness right so it's about having all these senses putting all in one processor and you know implement it into our consciousness mm-hmm. if there's a device that can directly connect to our nerve neurons you know uh, our central nervous system and can produce the same impulses so instead of my hand actually thinking actually touching the hot part mm-hmm. it, that part of the nerve is connected to this computer which generates me the thought of me you know uh, so my eyes so uh, so okay simple experiment me touching a hot pot what sensors are in play sense of touch you know i'm touching it sense of temperature uh, you know i'm touching it sense of position which means that i know where my hand is going that's a sense as well mm-hmm. uh, sense of sight uh, i i can see where my hand you know where where the cup is relative to my hand and where my hand is relative to the cup if i take all the senses that is responsible for me touching the you know cup take all the senses take all the neurons put it into computer that says hey you know imagine you're touching a cup and then the brain produces that response theoretically i think that that's that's actually possible and to put it further i think this is something that has been done in the matrix basically so in the matrix right you see that them pulling the cord plug right that's directly connected to the central nervous system so i think here's the future think, here's how here's where i think it's actually it happens like this the same thing i think this is where it happens now i don't know i need your biological expertise you know I, sure. i am as disappointed as my father is that i didn't go to medical school so i need your help here right <laughs> Sure. When you see a nightmare, your body literally, you know, it it has the same reflex that it would if it actually sees something that is, you know, scary. So when you see it in a dream, there is nothing scary, but your brain is processing it. And at times, you know, you wake up and you're sweating, and you're you you the entire sensory system that is, you know, active in real. Uh, in the real experience of that thing is active and there were actually experiments once again i think we saw us did it michael stevens did it uh, where he observed the the brain activity 
of the people you know who are sleeping and they say that it's actually very very close but it, it's more heightened it's more heightened than how they would experience that same thing uh, in real life to the, these were accurate to the extent that you can scientists can predict by the brain activity if the person had a pleasant dream or a bad dream or a sad dream because the same brain parts are active so essentially like there's a good possibility that you see something scary in real life and your brain conveys all the all the required sensors right all the required things go back to the brain but your brain imagines it makes it up in in dream or even better even better in hallucinations right so the thing is not there but you are 100% convinced it's there so the reaction is same so do you think that's like exactly what you're talking about that it does happen no yeah it, it, it definitely does happen right especially if you are i mean there are moments where uh you know you fall asleep and you know you you have a bad dream and you dream that there's someone chasing you and you try to run away mm-hmm. you know you'd run away as fast as you can yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as fast as you can the faster you go you look behind you right the ghost is chasing you the same speed it's always behind you it's always trying to chase you right <laughs> and, and then i mean it's not real but but it's the same fight or flight fight or flight response right we feel that way when you get scared of things if we see a hunter trying to hunt us down it's a fight or flight response similar to a nightmare uh in the topic of dreams i think it's in the realm of uh you know neuro you know neuropsychology neuroscience uh, and uh, psychology uh I- i'm not I- i'm not very familiar with the literature uh but I-, i do you know it's it's quite well known that you know people do experience these things mm-hmm. and uh let let me tell you an experiment right so he- here's a weird thing um so we might think that uh how how to say uh you you mentioned that we can perceive the sense without actually perceiving it uh we, we can actually feel that the pot is hot by triggering our brains without actually physically touching the hot pot here's an experiment that might prove that so this is an experiment that you can actually do at home you can actually do it at home so what happened is you just sit uh sit down and put your hand uh on the table right put your hand on the desk all right simple right now as you're putting your hand on the desk have a fake hand have have a fake hand right next to the your real hand have a fake hand next to your real, real hand right why do you think i have a fake hand lying around in my house no 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 <laughs> like okay you, you just... said i could do this at home <laughs> uh you will, can make a real hand do will another real hand do <laughs> actually it, it does okay it okay. does it does it does another real hand will actually work right mm-hmm. so your hand and a fake hand let's just imagine okay. you have a fake hand right in between the real hand and the fake hand you put there a piece of paper you know something to block so you only see one hand so you yeah, only yeah, see yeah. one hand preferably you say so you see the fake hand so you only see the fake fake hand so the first exercise that you should do is something called coordination 
right? Mm-hmm. So you 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 have a few people involved in this experiment. Uh, so one person will touch the thumbs of both the fake and the real hand at the same time. All right. Right. And then you will touch the index finger and then you touch the middle finger, you touch the pinky finger. And then you will have this freaky feeling that you will be looking at the hand. Now, now this is the real reason why it's important to have a fake hand, right? It has to look so realistic that you think it's your hand, right? Or semi-realistic. It cannot be a... Mo- Can it be a monster hand? I think monster hand will also work. So the weird thing is, if you do this experiment, is that now you're looking at this hand and you have this sort of feeling that this fake hand may actually be my actual hand. It's, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird human feeling. You're looking at a fake hand and you really think that it's your hand. Mm-hmm. Here's the weird part. At the very last part, the person that has been touching your thumbs and whatever, right? To calibrate. He takes out a knife and snaps the fake hand. Mm-hmm. Now, what's your reaction? It's a fake hand. Will you stay still? No. Your reaction is you flinch. You automatically pull your hand away. Mm-hmm. But wait. It's a fake hand. <laughs> Why do you... So, I'm like, whoa. So... You know, okay, okay. This is what this is what it reminds me. This is exactly. Uh, I I don't know if this is a boiled down version of the philosophical idea or not. But uh, have you ever heard of the Plato's allegory of gay cave? So Plato uh, has this no, no, no. weird idea about. Uh, this, so there are a few people. It's a cave, right? So there are a few people, and they're tied. You know, they're tied facing their facing the wall, right? There's a wall in front of them. and there is like uh, the sun the sunlight comes into the cave and from the back but they are they are you know stuck in a position that they can't move they can't move their heads even they can only look in front and what do they see in front of them is that they see their shadows right now there's the, now they can't see back you know but maybe they can move their hands and legs around so what happens is that they become accustomed their brain becomes accustomed to mapping the positions of their own movements or let's put it this way the movement of their consciousness that when i want to move my hand what actually moves is that shadow hand so th- that's where how they are mapped so it's, it's you can do this experiment at home actually here's what you do you look in the mirror right you look in the mirror and you and you try to do something that requires coordination you know maybe write something or anything that requires coordination and you can't do that right you can't do that after some practicing you will get accustomed to you know aligning and positioning your hand in the mirror but the moment you snap out of it you will have to readjust to controlling your real hand so you know that 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 relates it that somewhere somehow it is possible to deceive the human brain in in what we believe as the primary sensor uh, sensory system is it is possible to deceive it yes uh, it's possible to deceive it because the brain is easy to be fooled but mm-hmm. sometimes the brain is also smart at adjusting uh, in terms of sensing right so we're talking about how how we perceive reality at how reality is 
not actually reality, but it's actually perception of reality, right? That's, that's what we're talking about, right? Let me tell you another thing. Your eyesight right now, what you're looking at right now, is actually translated by your brain mm-hmm. in a way that the brain makes it flips it upside down. Like whenever you import a photo into your laptop, right? There's an option to flip it up, right? What if I tell you that as you're looking at my name, Nabil Abdul Qadir, actually, you, the light that is coming into your brain, into your sensor, is actually opposite. So it's like Nabil Abdul Qadir, but, you know, flip uh, vertically. Yeah. It's actually true, you know? Uh, if you've taken uh, A-level physics, you know how lens work, right? So what happens is... I have tried. The light... So, so let's say, let's say you, you're looking at the tree, right? You're looking at the tree. This, this is the principle of lens when, when you uh, take an image into a sensor. So the sensor is at the back of your eye, right? And the light has to go from the actual object into your eye. Now, the moment the light passes through the lens, it actually flips. Mm-hmm. So the object is, you can see the tree, and you can see the below it the stem, right? Once it goes into our eyes, it's actually opposite. You can see on the top is the earth, and then the stem, and then the tree. The brain looks at this and says, "Wait, this doesn't make sense. Let's flip it so that it makes sense for my human being." That's you know that's now, actually yeah. I, okay, okay, go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. N N. You know, nowadays we have technology, right? We can we have AR technology. We can we can uh, have a camera attached to our eyes that can adjust color, right? Now, they actually did this experiment. The experiment is the camera looks at the outside world and flips it back. So we see we see what we're actually meant to see, which is the tree that is upside down. So they did this experiment with, I think, a guy or a few guys. And at the first few days, of course, you know, they lose coordination. Oh, everything's upside down. But you know what? Eventually, they, they accommodate to it. Eventually, that's their reality. They, they perceive it as how we perceive reality. It's like, okay, everything's upright. Then when they take off the glasses, then everything is upside down again. So the real world is upside down. And then they have to adjust again. So it's like, so we, we think that, okay, we're seeing reality, right? No, there's a lot of things that our brain is just like, hey, you know, like here's, I'm going to change a few things just so that, you know, it, it's easier for you. It's easier for you. I actually have a lot more experiments, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll explain more as we go along. Okay, no, th- okay, this is what, this is really interesting as well as bizarre because Here's, here's where it gets bizarre. I have a few, you know, queries about the experiment. First off, why does the brain look at a flipped image and goes like, that's wrong? And secondly, why does the brain look at a flipped image from the camera and not recorrect it twice? So I, I need your biomedical expertise on here. <clears throat> Oh yeah, sorry. The first one is why why doesn't the brain like, why sorry, does the brain can look you at a flipped image? 
Why does the brain look at the flipped image and think that it's wrong? For me, it's just logical, right? If you have a flipped image and you try to, you know, let's say the apple is at the top of the tree branch, right? You, you want to accurately coordinate your hand, you know, it goes up. You know, you, you want to coordinate that. But, so, but we know that, you know, it can reverse coordinate too. Why can't it just map it in a way that you are naturally mapped to go down when you see something up? And connected to the second point, when you say that, you know, you use a glasses that shows flip images or because here's the, like, you know, the, the piece that makes even more complicated. There is something actually uh, a psychological phenomena called perception correction. So, you know, those, mm. you go to museums and you see 3D images that don't make any sense. Mm. And, you know, the, the 3D structures that connect the, and, you know, in endless loops or things like that, or, or the easiest one, you look at an image, a very recognized image, you know, the other day I saw it's, it's a Pepsi can, you know, uh, no, 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 not a Pepsi, Coca-Cola. So, you know, it's red, you know, it's red, you know, but what happened is that the, the image does not have color, right? But it has some, I don't know, some barriers of pixels, some missing pixels, but there is no color. So what your brain does is it, it adds in color to make it, to correct it. So perception co correction or color correction, you know, it's the same phenomena as flipping the image upside down. So we know that the brain continuously tries to correct things. But here's yeah, where yeah, exactly. you know, it gets confusing. Why does the brain not look at an actual black and white can of co Coca-Cola? Because we know that black and white Coca-Cola cans exist, right? I can just download an image, go to Photoshop, press Control, Command, Shift, B, and turn it black and white, right? Why does the brain not fit yeah. in color there? Yeah, I think uh, to answer that question, that's actually uh, one of the one of a psychological phenomenon. I, I, I'm not sure what's the name. There's a name for it. But our brain loves to take shortcuts. You know, when you, when you first came to Brunei, right? Uh, and you, you see, you know, faces. Or w when you go to another country with, you know, a similar, let's say, uh, race, right? Do you notice that sometimes you see people that is similar to your friends okay. in your country, right? So that's what happened to me, right? I was, I was traveling to uh, Bangkok once. And I'm like, oh, wow, that, that person kind of looks like my girlfriend. Oh, that person kind of looks like my friend. Oh, that person kind of looks like my friend. So it's like, but it's not. And I think what's, gonna hap what's trying to happen is my brain is like trying to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Because what the brain does is it wants to do things as efficiently as possible. It wants to take shortcuts. Yeah, yeah, true. And in order to take shortcuts, you have to like, if it sort of kind of looks like that person, it is that person, right? At first, unless you take a second glance. Similar to like, sometimes we have these, uh, like, you know, those... Uh, grammatical challenges where you mm -hmm. read a sentence and then there's actually the, the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't notice at first. Okay. It's just, the, the, we, we just want to read it as quickly as possible. And I think it's just the brain is like, no, no, no similar, you, you didn't see that. similar phenomena that I know. Uh, and, you know, we, here's, here's the problem, right? Um, so one similar phenomena that I know, I think it's called pareidola or something, object pareidola, maybe you've heard of it. So we see objects that don't have a shape in it, but the brain tries to make a face out of it, right? So anywhere you see any sort of symmetry, the brain is like, okay, that's the eyes, that's the ears. So we do that. 
So I was really interested in this. And I took the typical path I take with every science, evolution. So, <laughs> so I, I look it up into the evolutionary side of the science. And it's, it's actually an actual evolutionary advantage. Because the idea is that the brain is like, maybe there is a predator hiding in the you know, stuff. So it tries to actively look for faces. So it makes sense, right? Mm. So when you say that the brain is trying to correct things, my understanding is, you know, I don't know, I'm a fan of evolution or something. My understanding is that it's doing that on purpose, right? Because I want to compare it that, okay, I can see a, a face in something, but I take another look, oh, it's not actually there. So once the brain is like, oh, you know, the, the, there's no danger, you know, you look closely, there's no danger, oh, the face is not there anymore, right? So it, it eliminates that. So the way I want to see it, is that if there is no advantage to correcting it, the brain does not. Like similar to how you said that it tries to take yeah. shortcuts. So I think what really means by shortcut is, is this like, is this the most helpful path? Is yeah. it like, does it help? Does it serve any purpose? So that's why, you know, you can see a black and white Coca-Cola can, but, you know, from afar, that just doesn't make sense. You know, maybe, you know, uh, it it quickly refills the world with the colors that you're used to see. So, so something about these lines, something that, and I don't know, frankly, I don't know if, you know, there is enough no, 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 no. research to actually prove it. Do no, you, no, know, you fill that gap? Your, your argument is correct. You know, we, we don't perceive it as it is. And we use it, our brain uses it to our advantage. Somebody mm. like, why is it advantageous? Okay, number one, the faster we recognize there's faces, the faster we know that there's a lion hiding in the bushes that's going to kill us, right? Yeah. And number two, if we're trying to hunt for maybe, for example, a specific kind of mushroom, mm. right? We'll go to the forest. We're like, okay, done. The, the sun is going down. The predators are coming out soon. Crap. I better hunt as many mushrooms as I can. Okay, that looks like a mushroom. That looks like a mushroom. Pick, 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 pick. And then only at the later stage, then we use our better consciousness to actually, okay, this is not the actual mushroom. This is not. But in that moment, in that rush of time, we need to make decisions quick before predators come out. So maybe, again, it's survival. But I like to add in sometimes it's not just about evolution. Maybe there's other things at play, but I think evolution is one of the easiest things to, you know, to explain it, right? It but let's sense. just be aware for the sake of, yeah, yeah, for the sake of our argument. And there, there are other things, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I'll be happy to explain. I, I get that. I get a lot of, I get a lot of criticism. Like, why is everything evolution? And <laughs> I am so glad that you back me up on this. When I use evolution as an example, that's like the easiest, most fundamental Easiest, example. easiest. But, it, it evolves, you know, in every single. So, for example, we were talking about uh, so there's actually this entire science about uh, logos, you know, marketing. So certain colors of a brain is, you know, uh, yeah, yellow, like red, yellow and red. These are, you know, uh, cautionary colors. That, that's why you see that the that the car lights, stop lights, they are yellow and red. So, so brands and markets, they use certain colors and certain objects and certain shapes to, you know, make it more recognizable. And it's just that we present it like this. Oh, look at the brands doing this devious act of <laughs> getting attention. But if you look at it, you know, if you reverse it, 
it's like your brain is also getting because you are actively looking for you know starbucks so your brain is programmed it sees anything resembling green and something it's like oh that this is starbucks so i think that's also kind of like an evolutionary uh, tactic so it's basically the brain adjusting to the environment but what what i find i would say problematic is that why does it not do it all the time like if, again if i see a flipped image of myself if if i see a flipped version of the world which i am technically already seeing but the brain is reversing it so why is it not actually reversing a reversed image that's what i'm you know interested in. maybe there's some so, layer of neuroscience i don't know so you will uh, you i mean i think in all ogdc or all the i, I don't want the uh, oil and gas science center something there's this mirror that they have and it's a it's a concave mirror and mm-hmm. the, what what it does is that it flips you upside down right so i think the question is what so i'm living in an upside down world right now and yeah. my brain is making it upright so why is it that the when i'm standing in is, front the more important part is that the when the world when the brain looks at the world that is upside down it goes like that's wrong it should actually be like this right so when it actually sees something that is already flipped why does it not go like oh this is wrong let me fix it no maybe maybe we're talking about different maybe maybe the the overall function of the brain doing it flipped is when it's universal right maybe if it's selective it won't be as useful so like the mirror, if, like like the vr you were mentioning that hmm, makes maybe if the if vr thing is in, it's universal right the entire thing that you see your entire field of vision because it, it, essentially that's everything that's affected right the entire thing that's affected is universal the light that's coming into your eyes that's universal it's not selective you know flipping so maybe if only if universal but in fact you know what it'll be interesting if we actually get our hands on the glasses you know and like you know yeah. salman and nabil one day like <laughs> flip people what would happen people would think we are drunk <laughs> getting into yeah there scene. there's actually people who i mean i saw a youtube video of someone using vr glasses for a week so he has okay. like three four vr glasses and every like he'll he'll only change it to recharge or something and he'll close his eyes and swamp and then on the very last day he's like oh wow reality's graphics are so great oh wow so high quality <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so the, the, i i feel like there there are some some gaps that some some part of the piece is missing that we don't know or maybe i just don't you know we don't know it yet enough that what what does the brain choose to correct and what does the brain not choose to correct so perception it, it works really in that manner you know like hallucinations drugs for example so i think it connects back to when we were talking about simulation of sensors and things like that so the idea is that um, you feel an external object that inflicts some sort of reaction that triggers some sort of reaction in your brain so like you know uh, like somebody mentioned we love to talk about dopamine so we're eating burgers right so it's like oh dopamine you feel good you're like such a good burger right but if you take a drug that does the same thing 
or you know other chemicals that make you feel certain things anxious uh, i think you know that's how painkillers work right they just reverse you know you're feeling a pain but they just i don't know how how what's the science they just make it numb right so the, the idea being that like what you mentioned that what if we can make the body or the brain illusionize that okay deceive it that these are the sensors that you are receiving right now and it's not actually doing that but you know certain pills or certain machines that can do that so the brain will know okay the brain will just you know accept it and you will feel that and that's why you see that uh, when 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 people take drugs or when people take uh, other sort of intoxicants they feel very similar sensory reactions as to how they would uh, if they actually take the same amount of let's say dose of what that chemical is so this is something about the brain uh, getting easily deceived at one side and something about the brain not knowing so in, in in on the right end it's like the brain gets deceived right you give it a pill and it thinks it's food and it's like oh i'm satisfied you don't want food anymore like just giving an example and in the middle there's like brain is like oh this doesn't look good i'll correct it but on the other side there are things that are blatantly wrong it's an upside down mirror but the brain does not fix it so this this is you know something about the spectrum that that bugs me that <laughs> i mean for, for for the half mirror thing you know like as in uh, there are some things that it selectively does not flip out i think it all depends on usefulness you know how useful is it to selectively flip things and how difficult is it you know uh, we we know that in computers it's already hard to frame every single thing you know like we we look at things and we edit it out and then we have to flip it you know you know how much processing power it takes maybe it's not that efficient so okay. aside from the argument of it having like having to be universal another argument is maybe it's not so efficient to you know keep on flipping um yeah so that's one argument so another way to think about this right is like this so every single thing that we're experiencing right is sensing we can know things but so far don't you feel like the things that we know for example uh, how does uh, how does uh, uh, how, how does truffle taste like how does truffle taste like uh, okay i'll go to some rich people and and i'll ask How does truffle taste like? And they'll tell me, "Oh, yeah, it's it's like mushrooms but saltier." Okay, I can picture a salty mushroom. I based it on my experience from a mushroom and from salt. I'll mix it together. I'm like, "Okay, I, I think I get it." Okay. And then once I actually take it, maybe because we have thousands of taste buds, right? Maybe it will activate a taste bud that has never been activated by any mushroom. So in that case, yeah, it's like a mushroom uh, that's salty, but it is so much more. That sensor that has never been updated is now updated. It's now you know receiving that sensor. Okay, so fine. So you can argue that you can have all the knowledge of about the world, but for me, it's still about experience, and the experience is at the mercy. It's at the mercy of that sensor being activated. Let's think about it this way. we have the brain and we have let's say i mean i'm pretty sure we have 10000 more than 10000 sensors right uh it's not just our hearing 
we can hear different music, right? Different tunes, different depths, different bass. It's not just a taste. It's also a taste of mushroom, a taste of garlic. All these things have different taste. Uh, it's not just wetness. It's also like heat. So all these different senses, let's say it's 10,000, right? Mm -hmm. If we can list down all those 10,000 senses, theoretically, we can, you know, we can take out the brain. We extract all these senses when we have, we come up with 10,000 buttons. We make it into 10,000 physical buttons. Mm -hmm. I press a button, Nabil sees one tiny red dot pixel at the corner of his eye, right? Okay. I press one tiny button, uh, Nabil hears uh, 60 hertz of a sound for one second in his, you know, in his right ear, right? Don't, don't give I, a lot more sky ideas. <laughs> and then I, I clear a lot more. Oh wow! I'm starting to see different things, right? Okay. So I, yeah. I think I think all this is sensing, is, is experiencing. So you can say, you can read, uh, you know, you can have. Uh, I, I can tell you if you color blind. Oh, you know, this is what the color red looks like. But if from your side you've never pushed those buttons. You can never really know. And to add on to that, and to add on to that, how can you compare? Right? How can you compare? Oh, let, let's say 10,000, we all have both the same amount of sensors. Right. Let's start from me having 10,000 sensors, you having 10,000 sensors. I might have already activated 6,000 sensors, right? And you might or only activated 1,000. As much as I tell you stuff, how can you comprehend the other 4,000 that you haven't experienced? And then I'll take a drug. And, you know, uh, one of the people that I follow is Sam Harris. He, he, he's a neuroscientist and he, he talked about psychedelics. He always likes to talk about psychedelics. And he would tell in his podcast about his experience with drugs. He, he would take LSD or psilocybin. And he said, there's another conscious dimension out there right you, your your consciousness has different levels and i'm just sitting there listening to the podcast right and i'm like what the only consciousness that i know is me asleep me dreaming me awake that's it nothing more but he says no there's a whole new universe where one minute can feel like half an hour and an eternity and uh, you know, the opposite, you know, 30 minutes can feel like a second using these drugs. And I'm like, I, I can never experience it that because there's those buttons that on his side, he has pushed. And those, those buttons that, you know, I haven't pushed. And let's put it further. For that experiment that I used just now, I assume that both of us has 10,000 sensors. What if I have 10,000 and Salman, you have only 100. So no matter how hard you try, you will never be able to feel how I feel. You'll never be able to explain. You will never, I, I will show you the color red, but you'll see the same thing because those sensors never existed to you in the first place. So going back to original point, do we see the world di differently? I, I think it depends on, you know, all these different things. You have different sensors. And you do have different things that touch the sensors. So I, I think Actually, it's just there are two things that 
you mentioned, and I think like uh, one of them is very important to just you know to to make because it's very distinct than the idea that I was trying to trying to comprehend. Now, when you talk about sensors that do not exist, I think that is a very sound argument, right? It's like it, it reminds me. I don't know if you know. Uh, like if, if you send like let's let's use a simpler example you send like a, a not a 3d but like you know you know 1600 dpi resolution image to a screen that can only show 300 so you know something about compatibility you know something about uh, you know uh, if if you send a live photo to an android user so <laughs> <laughs> something about compatibility that is, I think, very sound an argument, right? So I think your idea that the that the base assumption is that we have the same sensors or not is, is very important. And that connects back to your point about animals and us having different experiences. So like the different retinal components that our, our eye has, it's very different from the sensors and the, the other components, the biological components that other animals have. So they see the world differently because they have, uh, let's just say, you know, physical, biological components that we don't, or at least not in the same way, right? So I think on the base, that is a very sound argument. So like, for example, the person who does not have the ability to hear or to see, you can never explain to him what seeing feels like because he does not have the ability to see, right? So he cannot push those sensors, right? Because they don't exist. It's like, you know, it's error 404. But here's where it gets, you know, a little bit uh, in, in, the, in the gray, right? Here's where I'm thinking like, okay, there's a sensor in your brain, but you cannot activate it. And that can only be activated by an external experience. That is something that I, I maybe I don't agree with because here's how I see. You're talking about, uh, you know, the sensors being converted into a machine, you know, like thousands of so the, the keyboard. So it maps to every sensor. If you have a machine in front of you that activates a sensor each button. So what that means essentially is that you have access to all your sensors, right? So like the base assumption is eliminated that the sensors exist. So every single sensor that exists, you have access to it in this mm, hypothetical yep. machine. So I think of yep. brain as that machine, right? And yep. it's just about pressing that button and you know figuring out what it takes to press that button. So th that, that's how I, I think that, um, that somehow it's possible, you know, like how, how we talk about the Mary's room experiment. So Mary is someone who can see color, you know, she can mm. see color. And let's she has just the say, sensor, yeah. She, she has the sensor. And let's just say for the sake of the argument that black and white are the two colors that she, you know, she has seen. So she knows mm. what experiencing a color is like. So now this is this is what I'm trying to think that if the knowledge is to a level of saturation, right? This was the original point that mm. because our knowledges are very limited, the way we absorb knowledge is very limited. The way we tap into our brain, how much control we have over our brain is very limited. But what if we have knowledge to the point and you know, let's break down knowledge. Let's say that I know this is the wavelength of red right yep. but i also know 
how exactly to send a signal to my brain or my retinal system to, to process red, then I'm sure I can see or feel red without actually seeing red. So I, you know something about capacity being there, but either the knowledge or, or the access, you know, you know, like you know, the, the admin privileges are not given to the brain. We cannot actively control what sensors do we press. And like you said, that we are at the mercy of sensory experiences to, to actually activate those sensors, right? Some external experience. So I can't help but wonder that what if we have enough access to our brain that we can actually tap into, into these, uh, these sensors, right? So mm-hmm. I think yeah, that was the original yeah. idea. You mentioned, you mentioned another mm-hmm. idea about uh, Sam that he, he talked about how there are different layers of consciousness, right? And I am, I'm, I'm really surprised that he talked about this because the, the metaphysical world of mysticism actually talks about this and it talks about this in a very, very vivid way. And that's why I said that I'm surprised Sam talked about it because uh, Sam might not agree uh, with our world of metaphysics, you know, as much as he would like to. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, he's a neuroscience, neuroscientist. Yes. I, so I know maybe Sam Harris. He's more, yeah, yeah. I know Sam Harris. I've read his work. And that's why I say maybe he would not agree, with all due respect, to, to the world of metaphysics. He's a, he's a yeah. thinker. So that's why I said that it's, it's interesting that he mentioned that point and that, you know, that's what grabbed my intention that uh, when you talk about layers of consciousness, the, these, the subjects of metaphysics, they actually talk about uh, the layers of consciousness and that, that concept became so huge that it, it made its way into philosophy that I also want to discuss. So w- w- the concept about the layers of consciousness is very interesting to me. Here, here's how we read it in, meta, in, in, in mysticism, in metaphysics, that um, this is a very good example. And sometimes I believe because with subjects like ontology and metaphysics, there's so much word play, so much words that it doesn't mm-hmm. convey the message. So what, what I like to do is I like to jump to the examples. So here's the mm-hmm. example that we use. So you, you hear that there's fire somewhere, right? Mm. What is your level of belief? So let's say it's not coming from a credible source, 0.1, right? But then every news channel is posting that there is fire in the forest. Your level of belief Mm. increases, right? Mm. Everybody Mm. talks Mm. about your level of belief increases, right? Mm. Now, somebody you meet has seen the fire and he tells you, I saw it with my eyes. Your level of belief Mm. increases Mm. so much more, right? Now, the last stage of level of belief, you see the fire yourself. Mm. Mm. You see the smoke, 99, right? But then you see the fire itself, 100%. One would say 100, right? Is there any way you could make it even more, you know, believable? You touch the fire and your hand is burning, right? You touch the fire, right? You touch the fire and, you know, you, you experience it. So, you know, let's say, uh, it's it's a more vivid example, but touch and see are the same thing because you perceive it from sensors, right? You perceive mm. it from your senses. But yes, it's more vivid and dramatic. So you touch the fire, hundred percent belief that there is fire. Could could mm. it talk? Could there be something more? 
Uh, <laughs> okay, this is this is. Uh, have have you, you seen can, uh, um, Ready Player One? Yeah, I have seen Ready Player One. You do this, and you don't have glasses. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm not in. Uh, I'm not in. Uh, I'm not in uh, metaverse. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. You know, metaverse. Yeah, yeah. You double check. You know, you're you're, you're burning, and you're hundred percent sure that it's fire. You so you hey, start yourself. You're you're not dreaming. Like if this is a dream, pinch me. But you know, the, all that is eliminated already because you're burned. So it's it's very real, right? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's where it yep. gets interesting. So they say there is one more layer of belief. You know what that is? You are fire. If you embody fire, the the level of belief that you will have that fire exists is far superior than anything that you can experience from your senses. Okay, let let me expand it, and this will connect back to our topic. Very, I'm very fire? Yeah, I'll tell you. Here's how it here's how it works, right? So you talked in in the very beginning. You talk about the concept that uh, you don't know. Maybe you are the only one who exists in the universe, and everything else is mm. just mm-hmm. a, a stimulation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a bizarre concept. That's an actual thing that exists. So in philosophy, if I'm not mistaken, it's called solipsism, right? So solipsism is the idea that you are the only one that exists, and everything else you see is 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 maybe you know you're not sure what it is, but hmm. so in in the in the spectrum of existential crisis in existential philosophy, all these ideas come. There's a very interesting idea called last Thursdays. The idea states that what if the entire universe was created last Thursday? There is uh, no yeah, yeah, scientific, yeah, yeah. no philosophical, no ontological, no metaphysical concept that can you know counter it. What if everything, the you know the world, the universe, the concepts, the the written histories, the rocks with carbon yeah, dating, yeah, everything yeah. you know last Thursday, you know, or you know one hour ago, you can't battle yeah. it, right? You can't battle yeah. it. What if everything doesn't work? So these concepts exist. Why are they important to discuss, especially in in this? Uh, in this conversation of experience, because the only thing, right, the only thing that can differ how you think, because when you think, when you see, like I was talking, right, even if you see fire yourself, there is 0.1% chance that it's not true, right? What if it, at the end of the day, there was a very realistic hologram, right? So even if you see or sense yeah, yeah. it, maybe I mean the matrix. The matrix, it's the matrix example. fire. So, like the point is that you are, you are perceiving it through your senses, right? But these senses are simulated artificially. That that is the base idea, right? Mm, so yeah. there's always zero point one percent doubt on the existence of the things that you perceive and see. So this is the idea that philosophers, you know, struggle with for a very long time. So other philosophers discussed it in a more, I would say, transcending manner. But here here comes Rene Descartes, the French, you know. One of the mm, one right. of the most important figures in existential philosophy, and he says the most iconic, like in the history of philosophy after the God is dead. He says, "Listen to this very carefully. I think. I think. Therefore, therefore I am. 
and it solves all the problems, right? Like how, how would you know that you're not in a matrix? Because you can think that you're not in a matrix. So the, the, uh, the consciousness of consciousness, the consciousness being conscious is the proof that, that cannot be battled with any sensory experience. All sensory experiences can be deceived, but the only experience that cannot be deceived is the consciousness questioning consciousness. Here is a small personal proof. You will never ever in your dream question if this is a dream. That doesn't happen. You get me, right? If you're in a dream, you will never ever think, oh, am I in a dream? Sometimes I think I'm in a dream and then I fly. I'm going to fly there. I'm, just gonna fly. I'm in a dream. What do you think about that? You know, like I, I mean, you're lucid dreaming, right? Your brain is still, yeah. it's imagination or drugs. I don't know. <laughs> but, but that's not a dream, right? But actually, I like uh, the reason why I like that quote is because, you know, you mentioned to me once and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that, 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 that's actually, you know, quite profound. But when you explained to me last time, it was something else. Uh, it was about a different topic, but I forgot what it is. Uh, but I think, therefore, I am. I think it's solving another quote, right? It's solving another philosophical problem. I forgot what we discussed last time, but it's, it was solving another difficult problem you know, a, a, that Descartes solved. Um, I don't remember, but yes, it, it, it encompasses a huge umbrella. But the idea remains existentiality, right? So the well, existentiality that who am, if I exist at all, how do I know I exist? That is the problem that it solves. Or how do I know I exist? I exist. So if, so if a computer program asks itself, yeah. do I exist? Therefore, it exists. Are you saying that? You know, is, is that a fact? Based on that quote. Oh. So can a computer program ask, do, uh, why do I No, but the moment, you know, it becomes more intelligent and it asks itself that. Is that okay. the moment where, okay. you know, let's talk computers about, become... Let's talk about the present. As of right now, can, can this, you know, this browser window, this ask, oh, why do I exist? No, right? Uh, no, no, program, no, no. no program written today can ask, why do I exist? And uh, mm. Descartes' conclusion is, this is why that is not real. That is a simulation. Like quite mm. literally, it's a simulation. Mm. That's, that is why mm. in the world of artificial intelligence, the point at which an artificial intelligence becomes self-conscious, if you know, we, we don't know where to go from there. Because that is the only thing that according to Descartes and others, others also, difference, you know, differentiates human beings from all of the creatures. So essentially, mm. uh, Descartians believe that animals don't question why am I mm. alive, right? So mm -hmm. the, the proof that your consciousness is conscious is something that is unique to human beings. And, you know, th that, that is why there's a huge talk about all yeah. oh, this artificial intelligence you know, reaching that level that it asks, what is my purpose and what am I, am I conscious? 
that is the point forward where you know we don't know where to go from there and that is why it's such a haunting uh, idea uh. to even think because in all recorded human history no such thing no other thing has ever asked why am i alive except human beings yeah yeah i mean uh elon musk has been talking about it he he said like um uh like um he said human beings are just the stepping stone for ai so there's this program that you for for early computers right before you boot the computer you have to boot some sort of program i don't know what it's called so let's call it booting program i've got the actual BIOS. Name, booting program bios no it's not it's not bios it's uh, i don't know it's booting something uh, and um, you boot that to boot the actual computer mm-hmm. and elon musk said that human beings is basically the booting program for the actual okay. ai we're just a stepping stone so once we're here ai will you know take over everything and then we'll you know we won't be of use so i'm like oh wow you know so maybe our purpose is to make ai you know like and maybe the reason why it's so intimidated by it is because of our you know evolutionary instinct to always make everything humans and not anything else so oh interesting you know and maybe you know, you know the thing that we talked about Neuralink, Elon Musk is making that, you know, sensors yeah. to the brain. But here, here's, here's like where the brain of my mind is like, this is why I'm not convinced or flattered or haunted at all by this Elon Musk's idea. Because the, this, the very basic question, why? Like, what's the point? Why do you think that human beings, uh, so I, I don't know if Elon believes this or not, but like the idea when you say that stepping stone for ai is that so the ai will become fully conscious and then it will erase humanity or something you know that's the idea and that's why people you know they're so frightened with ai and this is this is what i believe is bizarre why is your first thought when you talk about a self conscious being is that it will destroy everything including what created it I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I have the answers there. I have the answers there. So, uh, if you look at Terminator, right? Classic mm-hmm. uh, movie. It's like Elon Musk talking about it. Now you know that I watched a lot of Elon Musk videos. So, Skynet, apparently, the reason why it decided to kill human beings was that it when, when it was programmed, they specifically told it, okay, Skynet, kill everything that is, you know, a threat to you. Right, kill everything that is a threat to you, and you know, eventually it calculates and it realizes, oh, actually, human beings are a threat to us. So that's when it starts to kill human beings. So it's like here, it's here's what that, doesn't connect. Here is what it, doesn't connect. For it, it doesn't have the intention. It just it was just following orders, and it became yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, following yeah. orders. I no see that's the thing. That's that's the basic story of every generic ai movie right so in avengers they you know they they give it a political twist but the idea remains same that human beings are the problem right so a lot of problems with this premise first off why <laughs> why do you think you are the problem okay like it's bizarre once again the tendency to think that you are the problem you know i sometimes go through youtube and i'm like 
people are like human being is the cancer of earth and you know i'm just like okay i'm like okay like uh, it, it connects to the consciousness idea right the tendency to question your own existence that is something that is very unique to human beings i believe like okay other than that the okay wait uh the, the tendency to question things right so when we talk about ai right now i mean i'm not sure if you want to step into this part of you know the conversation but we talk about ai we talk about will ai take over will ai be smarter than humans right and okay, the right argument... there, these are two different questions right okay okay you you, you want that, 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 that is my main criticism to this whole ai thing and i think it's very oh. important to discuss this because of the consciousness problem here's the thing right there are two different things according to me that's how i see it mm-hmm. okay. one part of the picture is ai will be so strong that it can snap us away you know it can wipe us okay okay like, okay, okay. okay fair enough okay. i'm pretty sure machines are already there i'm pretty sure we have like machines that can you know uplift homes and stuff so i mean technically there are machines that are capable of wiping humanity technically speaking mm. but here's mm. the thing one idea is that they will become so strong or so unstoppable or something but then on the other side and, and, and this idea okay so this is like very strong right and this is the turning point which is they will become self conscious right they will question and when you say self conscious you say things like they will question what is the point of their existence etc but then you make a 180 and then you say that oh they are only killing humans because that's what their program is so i think that questions you know we question life we question life that's why we are neither we are neither violently killing all living things neither are we peacefully you know coexisting with everything because we question life you know we discussed this about the purpose of life earlier right so other things they can just you know they they know what to do right they they kill cause they have to eat they you know they know what to do when you reach that stage where you don't know what to do or you question life that's where you become you know confused so i think the first thing ai would do if it gets consciousness is i don't know get a drink or something you know it will be in problem it will be like what why did you create me so if it kills you it kills you out of frustration like why did you create me okay let me count to your points yeah let's say like for the sake of argument we don't have to make the ai conscious right let's okay. say consciousness is so special to human beings that ai will never be conscious yeah then that's not an ai right let, 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 let's see that no 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 we we already have ai so for example right we use ai for facial recognition right uh, is it conscious you know it's no. not conscious it's just using machine learning yeah yeah right yeah. right right let, let, let's talk about is a better term machine learning when you say artificial intelligence the idea is like or at least the top level of artificial intelligence is on par with human intelligence right like human intelligence okay. artificially created so i think machine learning is like a more i don't know easy to go okay. with okay sure sure advanced machine learning so okay right now we know that uh computers are getting smarter right mm-hmm. here's what i think the main the, the main thing that i'm trying to say here is in the end the computer is a tool 
Mm-hmm. And it's a tool that gets exponentially, exponentially more powerful over time that okay. the cost of human beings' demise is not the machine. It's our human error in you know, using the machine. It's so powerful. It's, it's a, just a huge gun and it was just tiny people. And you were just like, imagine a tiny rat holding a nuclear clear bomb and just trying to manage that. It's so powerful that you, you will eventually fire the weapon, right? It's so powerful. Okay. Uh, that's my main analogy how do we come to that it's simple number one is that uh, i mean this is from uh, sam harris video yeah number one is we should acknowledge that information you know any thinking is information processing right we're just processing information our brain is basically processing information consciousness is processing information right and number two is that computers will progress over time. Mm-hmm. It gets even more powerful, right? Uh, every year, there's a new iPhone. And every year, I mean, you know Moore's Law, right? So Moore's Law states that for every year, uh, if you buy a $1,000 phone right now, next year, for the same $1,000, you can buy a phone with twice the speed. So, next, so because the number of transistors uh, you know, per, per square meter, you know, per square nanometer will be will double the transistors. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you can see the you know, uh, nano, you know, from ten, 14 nanometer to 10 nanometer to 8 nanometer, yeah. and then people are talking about three you know, crazy, crazy. It was impossible, but they managed to do it crazy, right? Um, it keeps getting faster and faster, right? And number three, it keeps getting faster every year, mm-hmm. either. Computers get faster every year, or something happens that causes human beings to, you know, go into a world war that halts the innovation of chips. So just consider all these three, and you already have a trajectory curve that machines will eventually be so powerful that a kid with a computer can just type in potentially like New America and an actual machine will type you know will a bomb will come out of the ground in new america so it, it will be that powerful so maybe that will be the end of the we don't need an ai mm-hmm. human beings are already dumb enough to hurt itself and here's another thing uh, you, you you sometimes it's hard to see how intelligent intelligent things are for example right it's hard to think of someone more intelligent than us right it's really hard to think only, it's only after someone comes along and he speaks so fast and he reads the book that you read in, you know, uh, 30 minutes compared to like, uh, you know, two days. Uh, and he's just scrolling through that and he can read any date on the calendar and he can do complex maths and he has win Nobel Prizes and he can, he's so articulate. Only when that person in front of us, then we're like, oh crap, oh damn, that person is so smart, right? So it's hard to, hard to measure intelligence. But imagine this. The smartest computers can process so much information that all the world's knowledge can just be processed by a snap of his fingers. Mm-hmm. And by, by that account, he can guess your, your bank account number, your password, your family history. He can, theoretically, there will be a computer that can scan you once and know all of your life history and know the trajectory of your predicted you know, who, how many people will you marry? Blah, 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 all that stuff. Amazing. 
right? Imagine that power just in the hands of a reckless human being. I think, I, to be honest, I think that's how humanity will end. We're just so dumb. We're just okay. like, oh. I see, I see two different things here, right? Once again, I think there's a, there's a very, I would say, blurry, but there's a split in the topic, right? Like the problem diverges into two different problems. Here's how, how I see it. Now, the premise of our problem was the problem of consciousness, right? I think we, we and collectively we, human beings, cannot decide if the problem is consciousness or if it is power, right? Like, what about, okay, personally, if I see a robot, a machine that is conscious, and now my definition of consciousness is self-conscious, which means that it can question, I think, therefore I am. Right, so it can question the purpose of life. Who am I? Who created me? These, this is my definition of consciousness, right? Because all other things, including animals, including you know machines, currently present machines, they can do machine learning, right? At best, so it's you know they're doing everything, algorithm and stuff, but it's not it's not really conscious. It's just following a set of pre-written algorithm, right? And uh, I, I, that's how I see animals also. And, you know, before you go, oh, that's how I think Descartes saw animals also. So by differentiating that human beings are the only one that are self-conscious, meaning that we are the only one that can question life. You see animals, including machines, all other things, they perform their functions as preset guidelines as machines, and they don't question life. So like, this is the first distinction. That consciousness is questioning, and the other thing is just machine learning. So, for me, you know, it's it's two different things. So I want to know what is the what is the problematic part? Is consciousness the problematic part for machines, or is is getting really powerful? You know, the machine learning part getting really powerful. The the part of the problem. The way I see it, if I see you know a machine. You know, if, if Siri w- wakes up tomorrow and it's like, hey, Salman, what is the purpose of my life? I will be scared. You know, I will be scared. And, you know, it's a huge different topic. Why consciousness is problematic. But, you know, if, if I have to summarize it, it's like, look at us. You know, like I said earlier, you know, at, at one spectrum, we, we can, you know, kill all living things on Earth. At another spectrum, we are peaceful and we have done things that maybe, you know, other, other living creatures all combined could not have done. So like, if I, if I just have to oversimplify it, a being that is self-conscious is unpredictable because it's self-conflicting, self-conflicting. And, you know, Peterson, he mentions a very interesting topic that, you know, that was lost. We read this in theology, in, in doctrinal theology, religious doctrine. And it, it was lost for so many years. And I, I was so glad that Peterson mentions this. So he talks about, the topic was about divine spark. It's a very interesting lecture. Uh, who dares who dares says he believes in God? It's two hour lecture on YouTube. Like it's, it's really helpful if you're interested in like religious doctrine or that stuff. So when he talks about that stuff, he talks about how human beings. So, you know, the, the idea of divine spark is that oh there is some sort of intercession from divine you know some sort of interference yep. from yep. divine in human actions yep so that's one part the other part is your rationality that says you should you know go to work you should do something productive 
But the other part is your, 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 I don't know, your animal instinct that says, nah, just rest, it feels good. So, you know, the, the, the point being that we are a conflicting creature, right? We are not yep. as simple as if time is equal to seven, go to work. You know, that's, I, that's how I think machines work. That's how yep. I would assume animals work. You know, animals yep. don't care if it's, you know, society and stuff. You know, your dog will start humping in front of the guests and something. And you're like, what are you doing? You know, they don't mm. care, right? At best, at best, you can be like, oh, no, I trained my dog. I mean, let me stop you right there. You didn't train your dog. Your dog is like, if I do this here, I get, you know, I don't get treats or I get beaten. That is what training is, right? That is what training is, basically. But still, it's following a set of algorithms. Yeah. He, he does not know it's, it's morally not okay it's unethical to do that he does not know that so it's it's still a machine right so yeah th that's how i differentiate it now like coming back yeah. to the idea that human beings are not like that we are we are like i would say we are conflicted we are expanded we are like a combination of different consciousnesses living in ourselves you know and you know peterson mentions this and this is something like uh really really interesting and once again i'm really glad that that area of religious doctrine has started coming back into philosophy. So Peterson talks about, about how Aristotle, he had an inner monologue in himself, right? He, he, he used to say, and uh, you can find this in the writings of uh, Plato. Daemon, and is it? Sorry? Inner daemon. Is inner daemon, yeah. It's some, somebody inside, you know. It's like there's a voice in my head that talks to me, that says things to me, right? And to the point, it reaches, and you can be like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, when we think we do that. But for, mm -hmm. for Aristotle's case, it reaches to the point that, he, you know, he's sentenced to death. And at the night, he's talking to his inner Damien. And he's, Aristotle is like, I want to run away. And the, the inner voice is like, no, stay. That contradicts all rationality, you know, they're going to kill you in the morning. Right. And they, they, they're actually letting you run away. You know, they just wanted to get rid of him. So, but it, it, he stays and, you know, they kill him. So, the, you know, coming back to the point that we have contradicting ideas, we're yeah. not one conscious being, you know, that's what, yeah. and one of them idea is self consciousness, which is questioning consciousness. So, that's something that makes us very unique. And this is why, which results in unpredictability. You know, you look at how different human beings are, you know, maybe the routine of your father, your routine, your friend's routine. It's so different. It's so different. You, you pick one of them, you know, if all human beings were like this, we would either, you know, already be in an extent or something. You see some people extremely disciplined, you know, military soldiers and stuff. And because of them, the rest of us live in peace. So the idea being that there's a huge spectrum of what we as humans are. And we are unpredictable. This is why my personal idea is that if I see a, a being conscious, self-conscious, I will be terrified because it's unpredictable. I don't know what it's going to do, right? It's unpredictable. So mm. that, that is the consciousness part that is problematic. Yeah. The other part you mentioned is machines getting powerful. And I think the only verdict that I see there is authority. Like, think of it this way. I imagine, you know, somebody, somebody accidentally invented fire and everybody was like, this, this thing is going to kill us. This is going to destroy mankind. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's a real thing that happened. You know, a uh, fun fact in 1800 or something, when newspaper was invented, there was, there's a headline in the newspaper itself, 
newspapers will it be the end of humanity and <laughs> and the headline tagline was that there are a lot of people reading newspapers all the time there were some accidents people crossing road reading newspapers like now you are on the phones so like that that's a small side topic that everything that is new is always challenged we mm, fear what yeah. we don't know just because it's new so you know authority can be a thing like currently we have nuclear missiles you know and i am pretty sure you just need to you know add a password or something and, but, but who's giving it to kids you know to, uh, trump needs to press a button on his table you know <laughs> to, to to launch nuclear missiles but nobody is giving them to kids so like the internet you know there is a huge debate uh, i'm going on and on i know <laughs> no 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 continue the idea is um authority and uh, control right so there's this debate that should internet be policed right should should you know certain people be allowed should, <laughs> what kind of content should be allowed should it be monitored cyberbullying things like that so the problem so i i this is the like the summary consciousness problematic why because it's unpredictable right but overpowered yeah. something is overpowered i don't think so that's problematic that's only problematic when it goes to the wrong hands so i think authority and control is you know what's important there so th- this is my outlook on this ai problem hmm so <laughs> i like that you mentioned those points to come to come to the second point right uh, authority yeah i think there's uh i think there's an american quote uh Actually, it's from Captain America. No, yeah, from Iron Man. From Iron Man, and Iron Man said this. Iron Man said, "Peace means having a bigger gun than the other guys." Yeah, she means that as long as the other guy has nukes, as long as you have a bigger nuke. I mean, the other guy is North yeah, Korea, yeah. but as mm-hmm. long as you have like, <laughs> like America is looking at North Korea, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I have like more nukes to blow. I have more nukes to blow up your entire country tenfold. Okay, your entire hectare of land. What are you talking about? We're not threatened. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's How, right? right? But yeah, I think when 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 machines get overpowered, what what you can do like you said, how how small an impact how small a button you have to press to to change a huge impact. right so i think i don't think so that's necessarily problematic i think that's just part of you know once again when fire was invented you know there's an old saying fire is a good servant but a bad master right so just just don't mm. you know you just have to control things i don't think so that we can be frightened or hindered by progress just because oh what if it gets into wrong hand i don't think so that's a, That's mm. how humanity has come this far. Of course, but uh, there are some risks that people have to take. For example, right for COVID, uh, I mean, I, I know we're uh, derailing a, a bit here, but for example, for COVID, right, uh, some people think that you know it's from a lab, and this lab it's using a biological process. I don't know what I forgot what's the name, but it's a process of rapidly evolving uh, the virus so that it rapidly mutates. Right mm-hmm. uh, now, when when you hear mutation, okay, you might be thinking all muta- all mutation is bad, right? Actually, no, mutation is uh, all natural. Uh, every single cell in you know in the world mutates. Mm-hmm. 
It's just that sometimes uh, this process mutates it to to get a specific direction, and then it escapes, and then it becomes the you know COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Now it it's it's just a you know uh, it's just a theory. It's just a theory, but uh, it it has solid evidence behind it. Uh, I think now now they're already reviewing like, hey, should is is this method safe? So I think yes, you know. Uh, you you're right. You know, maybe we shouldn't think too much about it. But I mm. think as human beings, as a society, we should at least consider the risk. Uh, that is why people like Elon Musk and you know other people, they 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 do think that AI will have an impact. And now they actually have like think tanks specific mm. to AI, just to think about you know like AI. You know what it should do. What are the kill switches? You know who should have power? All this stuff. Uh, you know, so we think about okay. AI, but I, 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 I don't think we should be too complacent. Like, you know, it's just a newspaper. I think there should be, you know, a risk management behind it. Um, in terms of intelligence, right? You're right. You know, <laughs> who's gonna give a baby uh, a switch? Okay, uh, okay. I, I'll admit you that that's a really good point. You know, who would give a baby a switch? But you also have the effect of you know, the effect of social media right now. Y- you just you're. You're, I mean, you, you talk about the elections in the U.S. and you can have one person just send out a tweet. Uh, so mm-hmm. what happened was there's this guy that just tweeted out like from nobody, right? Zero tweets, just created a new account. And the tweet was, uh, I just took a box full of voting, voting mail and just burned it. So theoretically, he just goes to a voting station take out a box full of people's votes and burn it down. So all the votes are gone, right? So all people's hard works on voting is gone for, 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 that, for that big box. And people mm. were so upset about it and it went over the internet and, you know, it changes the, you know, the polling system, you know? But it's only one guy. It's only one guy. It's like, and then actually Vice News or Vox News interviewed him and he's like, oh, no, I'm just doing it for fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's it is what concerns me is this pattern of a lot of power with you know everyone is empowered now. We talk about empowerment, right? We should be empowered with technology, all that stuff. I think nowadays average people have more power than they need. You know, the, the power that average people have, it's amazing. I, I can go to, you know, you saw me doing it. I can go screenshot my phone and I can put there that I have taken nine doses. And I have that power. I have that power to Photoshop and make it nine doses. It's amazing how, how much power we you have. Know, and now, now, you know what? Now I, I think more about your analogy of handing the nuke to a monkey or you know, to, to, to somebody. I think you used a rat as an example, right? Handing the nuke mm-hmm. to and I think the the idea is saying that you hand it over to somebody, you know, some somebody who does not understand what the consequences of their actions can be. Mm. I think if, if I reconsider that, uh, and especially when you mentioned the social media example, you know, right right in that, that time period when this political things was happening, there was some debate about uh, should, should internet be, you know, once again, that should it be polished? Should there be some sort of fact checks or not? So mm. at first, the big companies were like, no, we are all about freedom, right? But then, Everybody started talking, you know, posting about how vaccines are bad for you. And they were like, no, <laughs> you don't deserve freedom. Fact no check. More freedom. 
yeah so now now you go to instagram or twitter and you just type in the you know if if you post something and the word vaccine or covid-19 is in there so there's a big banner at the bottom like to find accurate information about this visit this you know information center right so mm-hmm. i i think i agree with your idea that too much power is being given to people who don't know what yeah. to do with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think okay I'll give you a, some some random example came to my mind. I was uh once you know uh we were we, we just shifted and uh, one one of our elders came to visit us you know and, and you know they're from like grandparents and they're from from a village or some some area that is not as uh let's just say urbanized as where we were living. So Uh, they see that there are switches right and you know children can just <laughs> i don't know if it's a thing everywhere or not but uh, children usually like they can just put their fingers in or put a fork in or something and get electrocuted right that's a very real possibility right or or i don't know drown into the swimming pool or into the bathtub mm. or something like you see the modern house you know and you're like mm. so many hazards right so many hazards but when you think more about it like ba- back in the days your house could literally have lions and monkeys coming in you know you, you go to the less rural areas you see like monkeys and you know lizards and what not coming into your house so i think what i'm trying to, the point i'm trying to make is like every every aspect of life has its challenges right but it sh- it should be of course you know the saturation curve right so as as progress is increasing the risk is also increasing right but now suddenly it's so steep that you know even by increasing just a little bit progress the risk is going so much higher right so like you mentioned mm-hmm. about uh the posts and tweets thing like uh the the risk is so much higher and i think uh once again it's a topic for another episode but i think that some some sort of civilization should be i don't know recreated so it, it, it's like it's like technology has been given and you know everyone is set free no rules no measures no that that have always been there you know that have always been there so it's 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 interesting and weird to see that recently i don't know in the name of freedom or i think just mere carelessness the the law enforcement the policing the everything that sets rules and regulations you don't see that anymore it's disappearing so i think yeah that's what makes it really really much more dangerous so i think i agree with that point i think uh, you brought up a very interesting point about uh, the rules because you know we need rules we need rules mm-hmm. uh, if there's no rules when you drive Should you drive on the left yeah. or on the right? You know, the road only works because everybody follows the rules. Yeah. Okay, once one person doesn't follow the rule, you know, there will be an accident. You know, it will disrupt the entire system. No, there are things that you you need rules for, but there are things that you don't need rules for. For example, right, art, right. But even art, right, uh, the majority of acceptable art is still within a canvas. is still within you know a piece of paper stuck on the wall uh, or, or at least if it's 3d right you you use at at least it has to look pretty that has mean, to be rules about it i mean i like to i like to use the word of art very vaguely you know everything is art right nfts are art ah. so here's mm. the thing here's the thing mm. if you see something and it's beautiful 
the philosopher can explain it to you exactly why it's beautiful. So, we, you know, we have theories, the color theory, the coordination theory, the perception theory. We know why things are beautiful. So, the, you know, what we call people artists, they, they are unwillingly, un, unintentionally following the rules of art. Yeah, the golden ratio is one of them and the color theory is one of them. So they don't know. They're just like, ah, oh, it looks good. But unintentionally, you know, you can break it down. You can, you know, there are courses breaking down in Ardo Da Vinci's work and Mona Lisa and the, the girl with the pearl earring, your wallpaper right there. Yeah, so the, <laughs> I noticed it. <laughs> so there, there are rules that, you know, you, you can just YouTube what makes the girl in the, the peer, the girl with the white ear peering so beautiful. What makes it ear so beautiful? <laughs> I, I miss her. I don't know what the name Pearl is. ear ring. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, by yeah. the way, by the way, it's a great wallpaper. Why? Because when I look at her, she unlocks the phone. It's like I'm making eye NFT? contact with her every time. Is it what? Is it an NFT? <laughs> no, no, not everything is an F- NFT. Okay, wake up, okay? It should be. Just, just imagine how rich Leonardo da Vinci would be if his paintings were NFTs. You know, he was still oh, yeah. alive. He could sell oh, yeah. them for NFTs. Yeah, but yeah I'll, I'll make an NFT. For, for yeah. I think, we, we derailed a lot from the topic, but I think we had a very interesting round about yeah. uh, perception. So I think... Mm. In summary, in conclusion, mm. I agree that our our understandings, the way we see the world, the way we perceive the world is heavily influenced by what we already know. We try to challenge it. We try to see how much can we deceive the brain, how much can we bend the rules. And at mm. times it works, at times it does not work. And mm. I think there's still gaps in, in, in our understanding as a whole, as, as a humanity, as neuroscientists. And there are still gaps in our understanding of how the brain works and how it perceives mm. the, the, the world. But mm. uh, I think we had a really good round of consciousness that derailed into AI. But I think it was very interesting on that part. Do you want to, uh, for, for this entire overview, do you want to go, go ahead, you know, just to wrap it up? No, I, I think what a group. We we really derailed, right? But we're talking about the, we're. I think the the on the surface we covered the whole surface because we're talking about experiences, right? We're talking about human yeah. experiences. What is real and what is not, and from there we still talk about AI. Again, AI is also about experience. What is real and what is not, and then mm-hmm. we talk about you know. Then we derail a bit more. It's like should. You know about, about freedoms. You know, <laughs> and yeah. should you know COVID nineteen? How do you how do you you know? Mm-hmm. So I think if we go a bit further, it'll go into politics. <laughs> no, I think it's about. I think we... that's I think that's on the right track because now that you know you know mentioned it like this, I think of like oh we were talking about perception. We started from perception, right? But we were talking about the consciousness, the experience of one person, and then we were like, how does it relate to others? And then it eventually evolved into the conversation about society and then mm. another society with consciousness so i think unintentionally we, we went through a very uh, chronological mm. order of philosophical ideas so i, I think yeah. i think it's a i think it's a good segue and uh you know uh, i think in the next session um one of the things that i'm interested in is 
at what point should things be free and at what point should things be restricted, policed and have rules? Mm. You know, there, there are some parts on society where the rules should be there and there are some parts where you should be free to make your own. For example, in America, yeah. right? The best entertainment industry. Why? They have the freedom to say whatever they want, make whatever they want. So creativity is booming there. Uh, but, but what's the con in there? So I, I think... I think that'll be a very interesting. Uh, yeah, I think that's just we can we can discuss society as a whole. That that remains a huge part of philosophy, and I think it's good. And that's one of the reason I wanted to discuss the idea of perception. That uh, we 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 wanted to discuss fundamental philosophy, like that was the core idea, right? So perception mm-hmm. plays a huge part, and you know it's like the fundamental stone. Beyond this point, whatever you say, if you try to simplify it down, it comes back to perception, right? And I think that that is why it's you know chronologically very very coherent that we we discuss perception first. So I think yes, we can move on to topics like society. And I, I have a I still have a lot of brainstorming to do for topics. So I'm going to brief you more about topics. <laughs> Other you know not like this, but uh, I, I want to do an experiment that I wanted to take a very very uh, I would say fresh take. That's why I didn't brief you this time. But I think <laughs> you did really well. I think we had a really, really uh, in- engaging conversation. And I hope we can continue yep. this journey. And I hope the viewers and the listeners, you know, it's engaging and coherent enough for them to follow alone. And I think, yeah, that's it. And we shall continue this session next week. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for viewing. Thank you so much, Nabil, for joining. Uh, Thanks so much, Salman. Very fruitful session. Yep. All right. And I think that's it. Thank you once again. All right. uh, All right. Thank you.